Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. You are listening to the Build Your Network podcast. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Vince, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm super excited about this. Yeah, glad to have you on the show. And uh, I want to really take this episode back to your early childhood, because I know that plays a big part of your story, uh, your mindset. And you you mentioned in some other interviews, you grew up in a, a very abusive household uh, and were taught a lot of lies about money and success that wasn't attainable for you, that that was for some people, not for us. Can you, can you take me back to that time period and how that helped shape your mindset early on in a, a negative way? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so many different ways. I think one of the key things for me was when you grow up in a house where, and like you said, you know, like one of the things that we were consistently taught was we don't have money. We had no money as a family. We grew up in extreme poverty. We were literally sent down the shops to steal food at the back of the supermarket. So we actually have food to eat. Um, so that was part of my mission. So when you grow up in this, this kind of environment, one of the things that happens is you think that this is not available to you. You think that wealth, you think that success, all of these things that you see in movies and TV and you see other people out there have 
it becomes this weird divide where they have this, but that's unobtainable for us. That's unreal. So therefore they're unreal. So I had no role models. I had no one in my life that could show me what success could look like. I just had a family where anyone, they perceived anyone who had wealth, anyone who had success as not deserved of it, but were getting it because of their life and because of who they knew, et cetera. Whereas we somehow thought we deserved that, but it was never attainable for us. So I kind of approached life like that. I started thinking that I'm not worthy of any success. I'm not worthy of that. And I would sabotage myself a number of times. I remember um, one of the, this is one of my kind of, uh, it's a negative memory, but it was also a turning point for me was when I was 15. Um, so I was at college, or what we call college here is high school in the US, um, but at, at our high school, uh, at age 15, I won a pile of awards. Um, so I was a very bright student, um, despite growing up in that family. Uh, I was an incredibly bright student. So we got up there and I think the deputy principal said to me, look, he called me up and said, you've won top of your class. You know, So I, I topped my class in marks. And I got up there and he said, you know what, you might as well just stay here, Vince. And I went, what? And there was these two tables. And I remember visually seeing this, like there's these two tables of trophies. They were all the sporting trophies. And that was the only thing that our school was really known for. We weren't really known for academia at all. But then there was this other small table. And on there was a bunch of trophies and certificates and prizes. And they were all for me. And there was an incredible moment where you're standing in front of the whole school. And it was one of the few times my parents actually came to anything to do with my schooling. So they turned up for this event. And I'm there and I'm going, what? And he goes, yep. So I had one top of my class. I won top of my form. I had one top of my year. I won, uh, you know, the New Zealand Science Award, a maths award, a short story writing award. I won all these different things for every subject that seems that I did. And he was giving me this stuff and I'm just there. And I felt this weird kind of bubbling of pride essentially coming up. And I was like, whoa. And I'd never really felt that before, that sense of accomplishment. Uh, and I remember we I, they basically gave me a cardboard box. I put all the trophies and certificates in that in the box, walked out of there. And my dad turned around to me as we walked down. And he goes, wow. Now, bear in mind, my dad can't relate to me at all. I am a total foreign thing to him because he's not in my world. I'm not in his world. He was a, a truck driver who knew cars. And that was pretty much it. New cars, drugs, abuse, we're done. Uh, so when we walk out of there, he just turned to me and he goes, wow, all of that. And you still can't change a spark plug. Yeah, it's bloody useless. Oh. And to me, that was a defining moment because it did something. It actually cut me down. And that was something I had to deal with later on in life because that kind of became a ceiling. It became something that every time I got close to success, I would mentally regress to that age, to age 15. I mentally regress to that moment and feel like, well, that's going to be fleeting and I don't really deserve this. All of that and I'm still useless. It didn't matter what I did or what I accomplished. It felt like I never, I was never really making it, you know? Um, but the other thing it did was it made me realize that I need to break through this. Um, so that became that something that stuck with me so strongly that it became something that made me drive to break that kind of mentality and mm -hmm. to understand that wealth, for example, is not actually about me. Wealth is about leaving a legacy for my wife mm -hmm. and my children. Um, yeah. It's about being able to impact other people. Um, success is the same thing. Success for me is helping other people. That's what drives me. That's what motivates me. That's what gives me an incredible sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. <laughs> Weirdly, it's one of the most selfish things I do is help other people because I feel right. great doing it. You know? But right. all of that, I can track back to two key moments in my life. One is that age 15 and that realizing that actually, no, this is wrong and this shouldn't happen. And the other was back to age 11, which is when I had the first sense of accomplishment in my life where uh, it was just a teacher who praised me and told me mm. that you've got a gift and you can do something really special. 
And that moment of realizing that there's a future there, I, I got to the point where I'm like, I need to, basically, I realized I'm on my own. I realize I'm not surrounded with a support network of people or a family of people that would encourage me to succeed or do better. So I need to be the kind of controller of my own destiny, essentially. Yeah. I, I've heard you cite 11 is when your entrepreneurial yeah. journey kind of started. Uh, but I'm curious what flipped the switch for you or burst the bubble? Because in a lot of these stories, you know, people grow up in the family, they're told you're not going to amount to anything and the cycle continues, you know, they go and they do that with their kids. What was it for you at that early age where you said there is something more than this, or there is a potential for something? Yeah, I would, I would love to say it was because a lot of people think, oh, it's this, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit that hits you and you're mm-hmm. suddenly like, yeah, I can achieve and I can't, but it actually was down to base survival. Like mm-hmm. it literally was, man. Um, I would think age seven, I was not booted out of home, but my parents decided that, you know, with, with five sisters and a brother, there's not much room in a two bedroom place, um, essentially, mm-hmm. or three bedroom place. I think we had then. So I was deemed to, you know, they basically wanted me to move into a caravan. So my dad got this old caravan, he put it on the section, and I moved into there. No insulation whatsoever, middle of winter, no electricity, nothing. And I would wake up, and despite having blankets on me, I'd still have ice on my chest. Mm. It was a point where I think my survival instinct just kicked in and made me realize if I don't do something, I'm going to die here, or I'm Mm. not going to survive this, or I'm not going to thrive through it, that's for sure. And I think that that base need of survival um, in Maslow's hierarchy, you know, the base kind of need there kicked in. And I'm like, right, that's it. I need to do something about this myself. So it taught me my own resilience. It taught me um, tenacity and it taught me to kind of push through. But it wasn't till that age 11, which is, yeah, that's, that was the pivotal year. And that was the year that I changed school. Um, mm. And two things happened. One, I got a bully at school, which, you know, school was my happy place. It was a place I escaped from the bully. Yeah. And suddenly I had no area of my life that was safe nothing at all. So therefore that survival instinct kicked in even more so. And it was also the year that I found a teacher who believed in me and made me feel that sense of, wait a minute, maybe there is hope for me. Maybe there is something that I can accomplish. Yeah. And I know one of, one of the shows that I, that I host uh, of my own, um, I, I interview victims of abuse and, and one of the things that's a constant in so many stories is that first time that somebody reaches out and says, you know, oh, I believe in you, or I'm here for you, or if you need something. And it's really powerful. What an impact, you know, that, that teacher, you know, may not remember you now, or, or may not be able to remember that class, but it's amazing how much of an impact something like that can have, or what a statement like that can do, you know, moving, moving into your entrepreneurial journey and, and starting to pursue that uh, initially really into computers, starting in, in that direction. Yeah. Did you have a clear trajectory in mind or was it just like i'm going to do the thing i like doing first and see where it goes <laughs> i well early on i had uh I, I had this warped view that i was going to be the guy that made uh all the devices for batman or james bond and right. that was going to be my goal i studied electronics computer and software engineering and uh, i just thought that was going to be my career because i loved technology so much no. um then realized that neither of those two people are real. Um, That's not a valid life choice, but also realized that it bored me. Um, I love technology, but it was people that genuinely interested me. So I didn't have a clear direction at all, honestly. Um, But what I knew was I had to stay open to opportunities. And I knew that no matter what, I was going to follow those two kind of passions, which is understanding people and behavior. Um, And then the other side of that was the technology piece. So I was trained in the technology but life was teaching me the other aspect of that. I had to, I had to go through a whole pile of forgiveness work with my father, um, with my whole family. And to do that, I had to deeply understand why 
things happened the way they did, why their behavior was the way that they were, that it was, which is a very difficult process to mm-hmm. go through. But it just made me really fascinated about humans in general. So, so now I've been on a really eclectic journey and most of that's just come down to, oh, there's a new opportunity over there. You know what? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. One of those opportunities that's obviously been a mainstay for you has been marketing. And, you know, you got into marketing 20 years ago now. What was the landscape like when you're talking going into marketing then? It's got to look a lot different than it does in now oh, we're yeah. talking about the metaverse, you know, now, uh, <laughs> what was kind of the the landscape at that point? Mate, I still remember my first ever webpage I built. It had all these animated little gifts of, you know, Jedis with lightsabers going back and forth. of like, this is visually just insulting me. <laughs> but I was very proud of it. Um, look, in, in the day it was, marketing back then was just around um, looking, like standing out visually, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the early work I did in marketing was really around website design, which is combining technology with, you know, marketing and people. Uh, so I do a lot of website work for people. But really, I, I knew what um, people's behavior was. I knew why people would want to run towards a brand rather than run away from it or mm-hmm. why people would hesitate or what was the aspects about your branding that would make people go, hang on, I don't think I trust this person or I totally trust this person. So so for me, it was really the, the kind of the easy days, man. Like anything we did just seemed to turn to gold. Mm-hmm. Like you'd create, you know, a, back, I still remember early days of YouTube. You create a YouTube video and what we would consider viral, like that was pretty much the norm back then because yeah. it wasn't that much on there. So anyone, right. anyone found your content, you were going to thrive, you know? So it was awesome. All the days, actually the early days of Facebook where you put a post there and mm-hmm. weirdly, everybody that's connected with you or everyone that followed your Facebook page once you had pages would see your content. It was yeah. amazing. And then now, basically, all you see is crickets and, and tumbleweeds because you need to pay to play. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot's changed. And I, I'm kind of curious, you know, before we dive into, into networking, I mean, so many people listen to the show are doing some kind of marketing. Everybody should be uh, yeah, doing yeah. some kind of marketing. Um, and, you know, like you said, things have changed. Putting a YouTube video out does not mean you're, anybody's ever going to see it. It could sit there for <laughs> years and have zero views going on Facebook, you know, and it could be frustrating because you'll see stuff that looks incredible or you'll see a, a, a graphic designer put something together that looks perfect. It looks better than something a Coca-Cola would put out, but it doesn't get seen. Uh, what should people be focused on primarily now? I know that's a broad question, but it, if not yeah. purely visuals, if not spending all their yeah. money on design budgets, what should people's focus or mindset be when it comes to marketing in 2021, now going to 2020, 2022? Well, I, yeah, I think there's a, there's a, there's a weird thing where we've basically come full circle in a lot of ways. Um, so if you look in the early days, it was all about, you know, like I said, that visual kind of piece. It was about connection with people. Then it started going into scaling. And this is where social media really came into its play early on, where we could scale the work we're doing, go out to the masses really, really easily, you know, and we would automate the hell out of all those things. You know, we would, we would, any advertising campaign that you paid for would do really, really well. Um, and then we kind of got to the, the pinnacle of that, which was really around abuse, essentially, where we would take for granted the amount of data and information that we had for people uh, on people. And we would be able to use that to get incredibly targeted and but also incredibly manipulative, as we've seen with you know things like the Cambridge Analytica scandals, uh, a lot of the political scandals that happened and things as well. Um, but a lot of that misuse of people's data and privacy. So I think where we're at now is we've come full circle and we've come back to two core things. One of those is relationships. One of those is really about getting away from the one to many, even though we still want to achieve that to be efficient, but it's really about trying to create 
a connection with our audience, whether that's one-to-one or whether that's through uh, what I call a pseudo-social relationship. In other words, people feel like through your personality and your content and your Facebook lives and everything else you do, your podcast, your books, they feel like they know you anyway. So it's creating more of a personal connection to your audience. And the second thing really is about something that I kind of harp on about in the industry, which is around that abuse piece. Uh, We have... As marketers and entrepreneurs, we have a duty of care. We have a responsibility, not just for the data and the privacy and, and security of our, our you know, customers and our potential customers' information, but we have a duty of care around our messaging to ensure that we're not misleading, we're not manipulating, that we're actually being really transparent and open and honest with people. And I think if we can nail those two, if we can really nail that that genuine sense of connection with our audience and finding that, that almost personal connection there, and at the same time, being really responsible with that, having that duty of care, I think that's the area where people are going to win, as, particularly as we go into 2022. Yeah. The question of scaling comes to mind, you know, when it comes to building that one-to-one relationship, because that's something, you know, uh, take, for example, you know, we just launched Guestio, obviously, which is, yeah. you know, now we're doing one-to-many, we're trying to grow this marketplace. You know, previously, a lot of times it's marketing a mastermind, we have to get 10 people to buy into an idea. We have to get 20 people to buy into an idea, you know, and it was easy to do that relatively because you're building relationships with someone through a podcast or through YouTube channel or things like that, or direct messaging. So when you're scaling that one-to-one feeling, that feeling of personal connection to a brand, how do you scale that to the thousands, to the tens of thousands and still make it feel personal? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to it's being really diligent with the little things. So it's being really like, for example, if, like we said, it's around the connections that we have with people. And a good example of this is um, one of my students at the moment, one of my, my clients. I did a whole pile of work around helping them. So they connected with me. They were having a huge amount of issues with their business. They said they really couldn't stand out. They were financially really struggling. And I said to them, well, you know what? We're going to, we're going to do some work to turn that around. So I went over and above for this individual um, to the point, and I always get told off by my mentors and coaches because they're always like, you do way too much for people. You do way too much for free. And I'm like, well, no, I don't believe that. And, and I understand where they're coming from. But there's a reason that I do this is because by helping this person, by making this really strong personal connection with this person, that is not just a one-to-one. That is a one-to-them and then them to all these other people as well. You almost build this audience just off the way that they see the way you treat other people. So in other words, if you know, if I'm working with you, Eric, I, you know, I go over and above, people see the way that I connect with you. They see the response from you and all the things that we're doing. They see that connection. They want that same kind of thing as well. Everybody strives for connection. They strive for relationship. So they feel like through this whole pseudo-social connection, they feel like they've got this connection with you anyway. So you can reach the masses by just being really diligent with the people that you have in front of you right now. It's not about just trying to thin yourself down so that you can get your message out to as many people as possible. It's being really, really responsible with the people that you've got in front of you. And then from that, that word is going to get out there. Well, and in that case, they become your marketer too, <laughs> because yeah. the person you're helping yeah. when their business is struggling <laughs> and they flip around, they're going to go out and be your biggest advocate yeah. and, and evangelist for your brand. Yeah, um, which is why networking is so important, as you know. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the Build Your Network podcast. We do ask everybody the question: Do you believe who you know or what you know is more important, and why? I have a sense that I know your answer uh, <laughs> based on the on the last uh, twenty one minutes of conversation. Yeah. Uh, but what would your answer to that that question be? Oh, it's always who you know. It's it's always people are far more important than information or knowledge. And actually, it doesn't matter what you know. 
if you're not connected with the right people, it, you're not really going to help others anyway. Yeah. Um, like honestly, it, it's one of the things I love. Um, I'm, I'm really open and honest with my clients. So for example, um, we had a challenge within my academy program where mm-hmm. people were struggling to manage productivity, essentially. They were really struggling to balance all of the things that I was teaching them with the things they're trying to build within their business. So I got a huge response from people saying, look, can you teach us some of your productivity tips? And I went, oh, hell no. Why would I do that? You would learn from someone who sucks at this. Like, I'm not teaching you this at all. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring somebody into the group that helps me, somebody that I know is an expert in this area. And, and one of them said to me, Aren't you, doesn't that worry you? Like, doesn't that make you insecure? Because you're bringing in someone who's more of an expert than you in this area. And I went, well, no. Because I know by doing that, I'm serving you guys and you're, you're loyal to me because you know I'm adding value to you. But at the same time, if you go and sign up with them as well, it's only going to add value to you. you know, it's only going to be a positive. It's going to be a win-win. So yeah, it's always about who you know, not what you know. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I'm curious because way back in the beginning of the conversation, you'd mentioned the teaching you'd heard around money success. Um, And one of the things that you kind of threw out as an aside was you were told, oh, they just knew somebody. And that that is what gave them the opportunity to be wealthy, which in a a way is probably true in many many situations. But you were taught that in a very negative, negative light. Do you ever have to overcome that barrier still of thinking like, oh, it's, it's, you know, networking is this CD thing, or am I in this for this wrong motivation? Like, how do you feel like you're networking in an ethical way, as opposed to kind of the the way people tend to think about, which is I'll throw my business card at a hundred rich yeah. people and hope something falls through. I'll, I'll give you a glimpse of one of a networking event I went to be a few months back now. Um, but I had one of my fastest ever sales. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a 
one of those networking events was like speed dating. So you have five minutes to talk to the other person. And I thought, whenever you go into these things, you end up with the same kind of scenario, which is you've got five minutes. So each of you is just basically trying to position uh -huh. to get the time, you know, as much time as possible. So I thought, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to flip this on its head. So we got into the call and I said, look, and I could tell it was a person that I hadn't seen at the networking event before. It was their first time there. I said, is this your first event? They said, yep. I said, well, I tell you what, that ticking clock is really going to stress you out. We've got five minutes. So tell me, what do you do? Who do you serve? And what are you hoping to get out of networking? And by giving them the power, I sat back and listened to that. And they told me who it is they serve. They told me that the type of product and offering that they had for people. And then we got to the topic of what you're hoping to get out of this. And they were quite surprised. And they went, well, I'm, I'm really trying to find some good quality leads. I'm really struggling at the moment to build my business. And I said, okay, well, what are you looking for with leads? And they said, well, I'm looking for this and this. And I said, well, have you thought about doing this? And they went, no. And I said, well, and then we got to four, just, just about four and a half minutes. And I realized not once have I talked about myself. Not once did I throw my business card in front of them. I was there for one sole purpose, which is how can I add value to this person on the other end of this networking call? Like, what can I do to make their life a little bit better? And we kind of got to the end of that. You could tell that their mind was blown. They were like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. This is fantastic. I've never thought of it like that. Thank you so much. And then they looked at the clock and went, oh my goodness, we've got just over 30 seconds. What is it you do? And I got to do the coolest thing I've ever done in my life, man. I just turned around and went, basically this, I help people like you. And it was like, boom. And they just turned around. They said, well, we're running out of time. You coach people, don't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, I'd love you to coach me. Can we jump on another call? Mm. And I basically signed them in that five minute, well, almost signed them in that five minute period of just based on the fact that I was one of the few people at the networking event that went, you know what? It's not about me. It's about how I can help you. So that's the way to approach it from an ethical perspective and from a you know, moral perspective is I'm actually there to add value to other people. And this yeah. was the thing, fighting through that mentality when I was a kid. The, the way that my father would always position that was, you know, those people, they it's just about who they know, meaning it was undeserved. Mm. But I'm going, if you approach relationships always wanting to give more than you take, then two things happen. One, just good stuff happens to you, man. I'm a firm believer in karma, sowing and reaping, whatever you want to call it. It yeah. works, man. It really does. The more good you do to other people, the more good that comes back to you. But the other thing that happens is it's also you get the sense of it is deserved favor. Mm. It's such a different way of looking at it than I think the norm and even the way it's been taught, you know, the way that people teach networking is, you know, jump in there, throw, throw as much info about yourself as possible. Back um, in the eighties, it probably did work, but yeah, not anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and people are more cynical now, you know, they, yeah. they, they don't trust you when you say, oh, I have this value to give you, you know, or I yeah. want to connect, you know, or grab coffee and pick your brain, you know, all those things are red flags for people now. Yeah. I am curious just here at the very end, I think the advice you gave is is super valuable, but when it comes to, you know, this conversation of adding value to people and, and giving above and beyond to somebody, you know, sometimes you get in this other conversation, which is, you know, are you serving someone you actually want to work with, or are you racing to the bottom, you know, giving free work to people that are never going to pay you, you know, yeah. do you have any way to sort of audit, you know, who you're helping or who you're going above and beyond for versus, you know, just giving handouts to everybody, you know, cause that's not a good <laughs> business practice either. Honestly, this is a question I get asked so much, particularly my coaches challenge me on this a lot, right. but I'll give you two, two quick examples of why I believe this. Hmm. Right. Um, because I genuinely believe that the worst thing that can happen, if you are giving up your time, you're giving up value to somebody else and they're not your customer or they, they're basically just a tire kicker or someone who's after something for free. What is the worst case scenario that's going to happen in that, in that situation? You've helped someone. Oh, no. 
poor you. Um, so, <laughs> but there's two scenarios where this has really played out for me. And these are quite recent as well. We had uh, one woman who, uh, just an incredible woman, honestly, she's an amazing entrepreneur, but she was really struggling. She had two kids with developmental issues. Her husband had a stroke. Um, wow. She was trying to build a business and had no time on her hands whatsoever. So I just looked at it and she was not in a position to be able to pay me to be able to help her. So I looked at it and said, look, what would it take for you to, to be able to afford to use my services? Like how many more clients would you need to sign? And she did the math and said, look, three. If I sign three more clients, I'll be in a much better position. I won't have to stress about money and I'll be in a position to be able to pay you to, to help me to get to that next level. And I said, okay, well, how about I do something <laughs> that made my coach yell at me? Um, how about I help you get those three clients free of charge? Uh, and I don't do this for everyone, by the way, just in case anyone's going, hey, we need to What's the them. best way to contact yeah. you for, no, just kidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I, I helped her. In fact, we over, I over-delivered because in the in the two weeks, I just did a couple of sessions with her over two weeks, got her the position where she actually signed five clients. And then she ghosted me, completely disappeared. Wow. And I'll be honest, a little part of me was a little bit hurt like that as well. I'm like, oh man, that sucks, you know, mainly because I really wanted her to succeed. And uh, then she finally came back to me and said, look, I need to apologize to you, Um you did so much for me, but then my old coach came back to me and made me an offer and I've signed with them. I've re-signed with them. Wow. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, you mean the coach that got you no results? And there's a little bit of bitterness there, but, but I'm thinking, no, no, it's what's best for them. And I said, look, if you think this is best for your business and you, then I support this. Not a problem. Mm. So, and then we kind of parted ways a little bit. And then about a month or two later, she came back to me and said, can I jump on a call with you? And I said, sure. And she goes, she started the call by saying, look, I need to apologize to you. I was such an idiot. I should have signed with you in the first place. I signed with my old coach. I got no results from that. And I said, well, actually, I'm going to stop you. I said, you're not an idiot. Why did you sign with that coach? What was it about them that made you sign with them? And she said, well, she said, they, they basically had this program where you could be the CEO of your own company for three days a week. And I said, yeah. And when, you know, every call I've had with you, what was the first thing you always said to me? She goes, uh, and I had to remind her it was, I'm sorry, I haven't showered in a week and my hair's a mess because I haven't had time to do it. I said, you are juggling so many different things. Your brain did exactly what it was supposed to do. It tried to protect you. Mm. It heard the message from this other coach saying you could do this in three days a week. It gave you back the thing that you need the most right now, which mm. is time. So you signed with them. I said, you're not the idiot. They just didn't deliver on the promise that they made you. Mm. Um, so by helping her, I'm still there for her. And I ended up signing her. She's one of my best clients now. Um, but the other scenario that happened was um, somebody who reached out who was really upfront with me and said, look, I can't afford your services. I probably can't for some time because they were dealing with a whole pile of issues. They, they're uh, disabled and there was a whole pile of things that they were trying to achieve, but they're also dealing with custody battles, all sorts of stuff, yeah. you know. So their life was just a constant you know, turmoil. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to help them. So I gave up my time and I helped this person. I can tell you now, I have three one-to-one -one clients that came through direct referrals from that person. And they jumped on a call with me one day and they said, look, I'm just on the call not to ask for advice, but just to thank you for everything you've done for me. And I want to be able to repay that. What's the best way of doing it? And I went, I've got no idea. I hadn't even thought about that. And then I said, but look, if you know anyone that you think would be a good mm -hmm. fit for me, I'm always keen for introductions. Um, they went over and above with that. And like I said, three signed clients. I've got another two in the pipeline at the moment wow. that is waiting for them to finish a program they're on. But all of that was from helping somebody who definitely does not fit the the persona, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, um, the customer avatar, anything of my ideal client at all. 
So helping people has a flow on effect and it helps to build that authenticity in your brand as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, look, I know we're right here at the end of our time. So I'm going to move us here into our rapid round, ask a couple quick questions with some quick answers. First off, what profession other than your own do you think it'd be fun to attempt? Oh my goodness. Uh, rock singer. Like, honestly, I was born to be in a rock band, other than the fact I can't sing. <laughs> I have a radio voice because I worked on radio for years, but when you try and translate that to singing, it's terrible. I feel sorry for anyone that uh, you do karaoke with, um, but I was born to be a rock star. It would be so much fun. Gotcha, gotcha. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Uh, Jeff Lynn. Um, not many people know who that is, but that is the lead singer and the creator of the Electric Light Orchestra, one of my favorite 70s oh, gotcha. rock bands, uh, but also wrote some of the biggest songs that we know from Royals and um, George Harrison. There. I just feel like the creative process um, of him bringing these songs to life, I would love to know more about that. I'd love to know where the ideas come from, where the, the creativity comes from. Right. Well, I mean, that's the epitome of building a personal connection with a songwriter writing a song that resonates with people. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your what's your favorite method of learning? See, I would love to say books here, man, but reality is I'm a terrible reader. <laughs> Audio books are my best format. Audio books, podcasts, and video. Anything that has a visual, audible kind of uh, context to it, because that to me feels more relational. It feels sure. like I'm having a conversation with someone. Well, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. Okay. Uh, I get up every morning between 2.30 and 3 a.m., uh, which is not by some super divine or, you know, some, I'm this awesome entrepreneur. It's just the fact that I don't sleep. I've got this weird condition where I only sleep four hours a night. So I get up around 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. The first half an hour of the day is spent um, drinking water, sitting at the kitchen table with a piece of paper and a pen and just writing and just mm. and strategizing, just thinking about the day ahead. Even though I've already done my planning the night before, it's just really about that. Um, then I take some time to learn. Um, so I'm, I'm learning a number of different technologies at the moment, programming technologies, learning more about NFTs, a few things like that, um, to really kind of see where I think this is applicable for my industry and for my career. Um, and then after that, it's writing. So I just take time to write books. Um, I'm a prolific writer. I've got just published another two books and I've got uh, next year, one, two, three, or maybe four books and a couple of children's books coming out as well. Cool. Uh, what is something that you're not very good at? Oh, tap dancing. <laughs> it's going to sound so lame, but ever since I was a kid, man, I saw Singing in the Rain mm. and I was like, what am I watching? It was just, just we watched it like three days ago. Yeah. Oh my amazing goodness. Movie. I love that movie so much. One of my all time favorites, just under Star Wars, of course. But I, I just felt so happy watching it and I wanted that. Um, but unfortunately, when you're a kid, you know, everyone's got enough reason to bully you already. You don't need to add something to that mix. <laughs> um, but uh, I tried doing it, um, it was just a few years ago. My wife mm. and I were doing a number of different dance classes. We're doing Lindy Hop. Um, we were doing Charleston. We decided we we're going to do tap dancing. And after two lessons, I was so angry because <laughs> I thought in my head I was going to be brilliant at this. But no, it turns out you have to work at it. You've got to work really hard to be a good tap dancer. So yeah. I wish I was brilliant at it, but now nah, I'm I'm getting there, but it's still something I really You're not suck. Gene Kelly yet, huh? No, we're there. <laughs> one day, one day. Uh, what's your go-to pump-up song? I know you're a big fan of rock. Is there a certain rock song that gets you pumped in the morning? Uh, there's a lot. ACDC always does a good trick. Yeah. Uh, Led Zepp as well. Uh, Iron Maiden, a uh, huge fan. But actually, at the moment, there's a song that I play most mornings, um, and it's called I Just Want to Shine um, mm. by Fits and the Tantrums, I think it is. Um, and it's just... It's a song about dealing with 
stress and dealing with anxiety. Um, mm. And it's a song that just really speaks to me. Um, so the whole thing is I wake up every morning and you're right there. I don't even have to look for you. You know, it's the anxiety. Um, and he goes, but I just want to shine. I just want to stand on the rooftops. I just want to um, howl like a, wo- a wolf on the mountaintops. You know, I just want to, yeah. and I'm like, this, this just speaks to me. So every morning I play that song. And before I ask where people can find you, I have to ask, since you have Star Wars stuff all over the background uh, that I've been staring at through this interview, what is your favorite Star Wars movie? <laughs> oh, you can't ask me that. That's so hard, man. Now, look, I'm going to lump them together, the original trilogy, mm. um, but and particularly Return of the Jedi. Um, but the reason for that was because when I first saw A New Hope, it had just come out and I was seven years old. And it had such a profound impact on me that I don't think any other Star mm. Wars profit, property will ever will ever live up to that expectation. Yeah. But I will say this, I, I, the Mandalorian series has just been absolutely beautiful. I've been yeah. loving every minute of it. But the uh, Clone Wars animation, the Clone Wars cartoon series, honestly, it blew me away. It was so much better than I thought. And, and it took me a few years to get into it as well because I just thought, ah, as for kids, you know, right. I want to stick to the main movies and things. It turns out it was actually better than most of the movies we were getting. <laughs> right. That's funny. Uh, what is one place online where people can find you the most? Um, that would be my Facebook group. I've got a free Facebook group called Chasing the Insights. Um, everyone can find that really easy, by the way, just by going to chasingtheinsights.com. There's a link there to join the group. Um, there's also a link to all my social profiles. I'm pretty much active everywhere on social media, except TikTok, because I feel way too old to be on TikTok. And my son keeps hassling me about it. You gotta um, do it. It's, it's, but, it's awesome. Yeah. But LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, I'm pretty active on all of those. But my Facebook group is where I give up my most amount of time. It's where I do free masterclasses. I encourage people. We do prizes and challenges, a whole pile of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And everybody that's listening, be sure to head to the show notes, click all the links there, and be sure to grab a copy of the book, Chasing the Insights. And uh, thanks again for, for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Eric. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.